Welcome to the Watch OK Please podcast, a podcast where three friends try to convince each other to devote what little time they have left to watch more TV and or movies than they've ever wanted to watch. Please join us while we argue about our media cues and waste everyone's valuable time on things that just don't matter. Hey Watchers, it's Nine, and welcome back for more strongly held, but ultimately pointless opinions on episode 84 of the Watch OK Please podcast. So, as you've probably gathered from the last two episodes with Dan and Jason's pitches, we're winding down the podcast for the time being. Essentially, we've all got a lot of stuff going on in our lives outside of the pod, and producing a weekly podcast is actually quite a bit of work. So we're going to give the podcast a Schrodinger's goodbye. We might come back at some point for one-offs, but for right now, we're, we're calling it a day on the podcast. However... We each had a bunch of stuff on our list left to pitch, so as part of a goodbye for now, we decided to take a note from the holy trinity of Keanu Reeves, Dennis Hopper, and Sandra Bullock, and turn this podcast into an L.A. County bus where each one of us gets our own episode, and we have a couple minutes to pitch and discuss the rest of the shows or movies on our list, or the podcast explodes. Hence, watch OK Please on speed. I know the other guys' episodes were reasonable in length, I think they top out around like an hour or so, But since I can't shut up about TV and movies, mine clocks in at around two hours. And my particular bus explodes a lot. I get that that length of a podcast is super indulgent and borderline masturbatory, but I appreciate you indulging me. We're going to try posting a full list of the movies that we pitch on all these episodes on our website, watchokplease.com. So the full list will probably be there eventually in case one of our pitches does move you to check out one of the shows or movies we mentioned. Even though this is the end for now, If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Or just give us a shout on our social media pages, because we'll still be monitoring them a bit. Also, if you subscribe, you'll get a heads up if we do release anything in the future. If you have a show or movie you want us to watch that might coax us out of semi-retirement, leave us a voicemail on our Anchor page at anchor.fm slash watchokplease. For folks that might be wondering where the name watchokplease came from, There's a bit of a practice in India of writing the words horn okay please on the backs of trucks to remind folks to honk their horn while while passing the truck. It's kind of a bit of a fun random phrase and and the reworking of of it as watch okay please seemed to work for a podcast where we're essentially asking folks to watch all the TV and movies we're obsessed with. Before we jump into the pitches, I actually want to thank a bunch of supporters of the podcast. First off, thanks to all the folks who provided guest pitches. We know that it took a good chunk of time for you to prep and record those pitches and participate in the feedback segments. We really appreciate it. The podcast wouldn't have been the same without you guys. So thank you, Shervin, Dave Olson, Maureen, Ducky Momo, Lev, Jason's son Simon, and Aaron Yevelberg, and a particular shout out to the anonymous pitcher who proposed the movie Patterson in episode 21. Your rabid enthusiasm for this podcast has always been awesome, and it's kept us going. Next, I'd like to thank Greg Washington, Doug Ziegler, and Lauren Yee over at Brothers and Booze, who were gracious enough to let Dan plug the podcast on on their Brothers and Booze live stream and gave us a listen. We really appreciate it. Watchers, definitely watch and subscribe to their live stream. It's called Brothers and Booze. It's on YouTube and Twitch on Friday nights. It's usually on 9 p.m. Eastern time. It's always a great conversation about booze, random YouTube clips, what folks are watching, and lots of other stuff. Next, I'd like to thank Jason for jumping on the podcast after Scott left. Jason really dove headfirst into all the recording and production work. Jason, your enthusiasm for the podcast has been awesome and super appreciated. Also, special thanks to Dan for being on board with this from the beginning. 
and always stepping up to help out with the pod without hesitation, while still somehow working a full-time job, being married, and raising two kids. I genuinely have no idea how you generate the energy to function with all the other stuff you have going on, but let alone yes-anding all the stupid nonsense I come up with for this podcast, but man, it is always appreciated. And thanks to my wife, Kate, who has put up with me talking about this podcast way too much over the past two years or so. Your patience and support are greatly appreciated. You are the bestest and my favorite, even though you claim to have never listened to an episode of this podcast. And who knows, maybe we'll do our own someday. And finally, thanks to all the listeners out there. We really appreciate you. Each listen I saw clocked on the Anchor dashboard was a delight to see, and honestly, you guys are the reason we do this. And I've got a special thanks to those folks out in Moldova. I don't know what's going on over there, man, but we really appreciate your dedication to this podcast. All right, watchers, time for this hot shot to speed things up. It's a curve ahead. I'm gonna speed it up. I can jump the track. All right, guys, I have a 30 minute or less dramedy that takes place in London. It's about EMTs, it's called Bloods. Yeah, which is available on Hulu. It's got two seasons uh, available right now with a third on the way. And it's interesting because it, it's it's basically the odd couple, as far as I'm concerned, because they're sort of an ensemble, but really the focus is this dynamic between two EMTs, uh, one of whom is like a younger um, British Nigerian dude, and then an older woman who just, uh, older white British woman who just shows up and replaces his old partner. And the dynamic between them is hilarious. <laughs> Because the uh, the younger guy does not want to be working with an old woman. He wants to just do everything on his own since he lost his partner. He's like, I am my own best partner. And the older woman is just delighted to have him around. She's got like, she doesn't want to deal with her own son. And so she's just treating her coworker like her son. And I mean, between that dynamic and the other random EMTs that are kind of kind of hanging around, it's like it's got a Scrubs vibe to it because they, I was going to ask that. Yeah, no, it's, it's mm-hmm. it, because it has one. It has probably one of the best bromances I've ever seen on screen, uh, which is the two Daryls who are who actually drive the same ambulance together. It is absolutely delightful how much they they are just infatuated with each other. Honestly, (laughs) Bloods is just a good time. And it's got um, one of the guys from Time Wasters, which we which I had pitched a while back. uh, Samson K.O. He was also in more recently uh, Our Flag Means Death. And I, he he's actually one of the main creative forces behind it. And it's just a good, fun time, like a, a, a good, silly sitcom. There's some dramatic elements here and there, but it's just kind of fun because I've never seen anything about how EMTs work in England. And not to be confused with a, a series called The Crips. Yes, not, nothing, to do with <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with The Crips. But it's 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 fortunate when you were in in London, uh, Jason, that you didn't have to deal with the EMTs. I think that's fortunate, right? Yes, uh, I didn't. It's my understanding uh, the most accurate portrayal of a show about EMTs in London would be them showing up four hours late. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's sounds. I I love like a good you know show about EMTs. Is it set? Maybe you said this. Is it set in London or is it another city in the UK? I believe it's London because, like, there are scenes like where they're hanging out at Crystal Palace, like the rats at the Crystal Palace. Uh Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's all uh, straight up London. All right. Well, you've got me right there. Like, I got to see it. So, 
I don't think I've ever seen a show about God for atheists, but I think that's what Preacher is. He's <laughs> <laughs> a weekly broadcast on AMC. It's now on all on Hulu, but it's this weird show that's based on a comic book. So like, Dan, that's kind of up your alley. It's, it's, it's comic right. Book. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, and you can kind of tell because one of the, some of the executive producers are Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, you know, the guys behind Superbad. So honestly, it, between them producing the fact that this includes an Irish vampire and eventually Hitler, what's not to love? Like <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's basically, it's got a over the top, silly gore, oh, absurdly silly fight scenes that just make this a, a really weird watch. But it's about this preacher named Jesse who is trying to move away from like this life of crime where he's dealing with, you know, just trying to move past that and really embrace the cloth and be a better preacher. But then he ends up having to deal with this random renegade half demon, half angel that pops up into his life out of nowhere. And on top of that, he's got to deal with his ex-girlfriend who's been trying to track him down, who's actually really good at violence. And then the Irish vampire that I mentioned earlier. Ultimately, this ends up in a quest looking for God, but it's all, it's this really (laughs) weird, but ultimately pretty interesting a situation where you ha- you're dealing with all the the random bureaucracies in heaven trying to figure out what's going on while people are just looking for answers themselves in terms of the people actually in it uh it's got the guy who played howard stark in the mcu dominic cooper i think he's done oh, other yeah. stuff oh yeah ruth nega from uh the movie loving is the only other thing i know her from she's pretty I, great. I i love ruth nega she's incredible i got to see her in Macbeth with uh daniel craig and she was nice. incredible. Oh, awesome. You might like her. She's really good in this. And, and the other person is uh, that you might know is Graham McTavish, who is an outlander. I think I might have yep. even mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's an eclectic cast right there. But it sounds like an eclectic show. Yep. So. Oh, yeah. It, and it really gets into the, the, you know, the fantasy horror thing. It, it, it does them pretty well. So and it's it makes it fun. And I think that's what that's what pulled me along, because. That stuff isn't always fun, but this show, mm-hmm. it, 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 there is a sense of humor to it. So where does this lie in relates to, in relation to uh, dealing with, you know, God and like say dogma? Ah, actually kind of uh, interestingly similar because there is an absence there. So, <laughs> and, and, and they're, they're definitely looking for stuff. So if you like dogma, this might be up your alley. Yeah, I heard about this and I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. We all like Zach Galifianakis, right? Like, that's not even a question? No, not even up for discussion. No, no. Thank you. So you ever, you probably wondered, like, what's a show, what would a show be like if they just let Zach Galifianakis do whatever he wanted? <laughs> Isn't that what uh, Between Two Ferns is? Close. Yes. <laughs> but to take it even further is the show Baskets, which was on FX and is now available on Hulu. There are about, there actually were four seasons of this. And wow, it's it, four seasons yeah. Yeah, it, wow. it's, well, it, it was surprisingly good, but it's definitely Zach Galifianakis kind of just doing whatever he wants. He actually plays twins. Their names are oh Chip, and da- Chip and Dale. <laughs> oh, perfect. They're not rescue rangers, but they might as well be. And, and Chip is a is the twin that went to France to become a classically trained clown, but didn't do that well. And Dale <laughs> is the one who stayed in Bakersfield, California, trying to run businesses and help their mom 
who is played by Louis Anderson. <laughs> wow. Sounds weird. He does an amazing job. He's actually really good as their mother, plays it completely straight the whole time, and it's hilarious. But for the record, I believe, just, just as a quick interchange, I believe you preferred Louis Anderson to Steve Harvey for Family Feud. All day, every day. Louis yeah. Anderson, 100%. Yeah. Oh, God. No, Steve Harvey. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, watching, you know, Chip go from French clown to rodeo clown because they're, they own a rate, uh, their family owns a rodeo. Wow. In California <laughs> is, is really odd. And it all kind of sticks together and works for some reason. It, just the absurdity of it. And if you're into the, you know, the Gallup Phanaxis' humor, it works because, they just do strange stuff. They spend way too much time at Arby's and they're constantly obsessed with Costco. Costco comes up every <laughs> single episode. <laughs> oh my gosh. This, this definitely, I think I've had conversations that could have been you know, taken from this show script, I think. If, it definitely if it involves meat, the, the meat mountain from Arby's, the secret menu item. Oh, probably, yeah. I think there, yeah, there might be, oh yeah, and Juggalos. There is a Juggalo that works at the Arby's. Oh, so <laughs> it just gets weirder and weirder, but he's a super nice guy. He's just trying to be a good dude. But also, is 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 he in like the his like juggalo get up stuff or uh, some of the time? Like it's weird. Okay. <laughs> but but it's wow. it's just this redemption story of Chip coming home and and trying to rediscover life with his family, and while still try, staying true to himself as a clown. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my goodness. Boy, that sounds intense. <laughs> it, it's but it's worth the ride. <laughs> We've all been annoyed at people in New York City all the time. Like it's it's hard not to be in that city and not be annoyed at other people, right? In some way shape or form. Yeah, it's it's a lot sometimes. I gave up road rage from being in the suburbs to to having sidewalk rage. <laughs> <laughs> thing. I, I, I'm with you 100%. And I think that's why you guys might enjoy the show Difficult People. Uh, it was on Hulu. It stars Billy Eichner and Julie Klausner as basically kind of themselves. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, well, okay, okay. So, so when I get annoyed with New Yorkers, Billy Eichner is that New Yorker. Right. And he is annoyed <laughs> with you right back. <laughs> I'm sure, along with everyone else he's annoyed with. He is a little bit more tame. He's not doing full Billy on the street yelling, but okay. they're, they're both playing like actors trying to get work and, you know, doing those random odd jobs here and there. Like Billy's like a, a waiter in a, a random cafe and Julie Klauser's character just recaps television shows. And so it's, it's them trying to maintain their careers, but also dealing with a bunch of really annoying people in their lives. Like Julie Klauser's, uh, Mom is played by Andrea Martin, who who is amazing. I don't know if you guys remember nice. from SCTV. She's she feel like I feel like she's going to come back because I actually get, she's another show I'm going to pitch later. But and James Urbaniak, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him from um, mm. Venture Brothers. He played Dwight's weird friend on The Office. He shows up randomly, right, right, places. right. And ultimately, it's a well structured sitcom. So it's not just Billy Eichner yelling all the time, and it's pretty well written. It, it's <laughs> even got the requisite Fred Armisen uh, appearance, so it, it does smooth out. Unfortunately, it's only it's only three seasons, but I think that's enough. That was enough to get it done. They could have done more, but it ended up working out. 
Yeah, I wonder if you start cycling through different the same type of archetype of difficult per- person after a certain point. Yeah, I, I think I mean you kind of do. But all, it's all New York centric, right? They never leave. They never leave Manhattan. Like maybe they go out to another borough every once in a while, but it's mostly just them hanging around New York, um, trying to figure out why everyone's getting on their nerves. So I, I think this is like a Billy Eichner problem. When I lived in New York, I felt like I was living in You've Got Mail, right? <laughs> like everything was magic. Everything was amazing. All people were wonderful. I, But, you know, I do appreciate a good grumpy New Yorker trope every once in a while. Wow, that's really nice. I the, That was not always my experience. So that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to the mayor from Ghostbusters again, you know, being miserable and treating other people like dirt is every New Yorker's God-given right. <laughs> there you go. And that's why he gets an executive cre- uh, producer credit on Difficult People on Hulu. <laughs> Guys, we're going back to England for another another Hulu show. Woo-hoo. The, uh, yeah, this one is uh, is an interesting one. It was uh it was mainly driven by um, Ashlyn B, um, who is amazing. She showed up in the the show um, "Living with Myself" with Paul Rudd, and in this one, she it's it's not just a straight comedy; it's a comedy drama. It's called "This Way Up." It's distributed on Hulu in the states, but it's um, on a bunch of other platforms elsewhere. And it basically follows her character being released from you know a, a mental health facility and kind of coming out of depression. And getting and reacclimated to the world, and, you know she's she's taken care of by her sister, who's played by Sharon Horgan, who's one I, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. I, this is a more dramatic role. She is hilarious. They ha- they have hilarious moments. I actually be kind of more so in this because there are just so many random funny moments with all this, which is while dealing with something that's kind of pretty sad. Like at the same time, it just walks the line the right way, but. I mean, and between her and Sharon Horgan, you feel the sisterhood and the acting is so tight. I mean, between her, you know, Asif Manvi shows up as Sharon Horgan's hu- husband, Kadif Kirwan, who was in the show Time Wasters, which we we pitched before. Oh, I, th- I thought I recognized it, uh, that, that name. Within this whole comedy drama, Ashley P has to sp- is, you know, is teaching classes. Um, she's teaching folks English. And of course, the minute I, I saw this person pop up and realized that he was kind of a sort of love interest in the show, I was like, Jason's going to love watching Tobias Menzies try and fall, fall in love with Ashley. Oh. <laughs> All right. You're, you're hitting some people I, I like here. And I know you were sold as soon as you saw Sharon Horgan. You were totally sold because I, I know you've like, you're obsessed with her. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. She's so good. I was going to put a bunch of other Sharon Torgan shows on here, but I couldn't get them all on because otherwise it'd be a five hour podcast. <laughs> so, so uh, did we see um, Ashton B uh, in that travel show you pitched? Yeah. She was in one of the episodes of travel man that I pitched. Yeah. She's so, oh, okay. w- which one was she? Uh, she was in the episode of travel man where uh, they went to Budapest. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, Okay. She is a goddamn delight. She is. I don't ever see dead people uh, when I get high, but the main character of the show Deadbeat does. Uh, Deadbeat's a Hulu original. It's 
basically this weird Lebowski-esque show where a guy wanders around New York City, is able to communicate with the dead and helps them try to, you know, deal with the things that they left undone before, you know, they died and hopefully make some money out of it. It literally tries to turn it into a career. And he's played by this guy named Tyler Labine, who I don't feel like shows up enough. The only other thing I can think of him being in was Super Troopers 2. But he's hilarious. I mean, between him, Lucy DeVito, Danny DeVito's daughter, and Cal Penn shows up later for some reason, which I don't understand, but he's fine. It's it's <laughs> it, it truly is Lebowski level humor it, it, in terms of watching him kind of just meander through the world, just trying to make enough to, uh, to pay rent, but also having people around him who pretend to be able to see, talk to the dead, you know, get frustrated with him because they're cutting in on his business. So it, truly... If you like the Big Lebowski and you like ghosts, I think it's the perfect marriage. Honestly, oh, it's only it's three seasons of this. When you say it's the dead, do they look like corpses or do they just look like people who are ghosts? They look like people who are ghosts. Okay, good. All right. I'll, I, I'm always like a little iffy with this like ghost dead. I don't know. Like I, I, I don't have a strong stomach for that sort of thing. Oh, that's fair. I, I There may be one or two people with like a, a gaping head wound, but I, I, it's not like the main thing, right? It's 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 really it's really intended to be funny. It's not intended to be scary, right? It Got looks it. more like ghosts as opposed to you know, and, and and not like nearly headless Nick, for example, from Harry Potter, <laughs> right? Yeah, it looks sounds that sounds pretty wild to me. I mean, we we had a lot of you know, either imaginary or talking to the dead kinds of shows. You know, if you think about it, you know, we had you know, Moon Boy, obviously. Uh, and we also had uh, the other guest pitch that we had uh, of that of that uh, show from USA, of course. Oh, you mean ghosts? No, 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 no. no we had no, the the uh, one from uh, from Dave. Oh, right, um, dead like me, dead oh, like me. Thank uh, you, Moon Boy. That. that was just his imaginary friend. It wasn't. A, yeah, it imagine, wasn't I'm saying, but but he's like oh. he, he. It's like he's seeing people, kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No concept. Yeah, it's very interesting how that how that works. So oh, totally. But yeah, this this probably on par with UK ghosts, not US ghosts. I didn't like US ghosts gotcha. too much, famously. <laughs> cool. You guys have seen Breaking Bad, right? Like, I, I don't feel like you could have been on this, been host of this podcast, and not have seen Breaking all of Breaking Bad. <laughs> yes, I have in <laughs> fact seen all of Breaking Bad. I, I've not seen all of it. Okay, well, you've seen enough of it. Yes, I've seen enough of it to understand certain uh things that transpire basically i'll, I'll say it like that okay you missed the, the best stuff it's uh the best seasons are the last two so true yeah but before you get to that would you can at, le- at least see this breaking bad variant that takes place in a nail salon it's called claws yeah it's like breaking bad in oh. a nail salon in florida i didn't think this was going to be good i it looked dumb but weirdly I ended up finding it real, really compelling because it was originally on TNT, which it turns out does actually no drama. And it's now available on Hulu. <laughs> there were four seasons of it. And it's a great comedy drama with excellent LGBTQA plus re- representation. And that's coming from a cis straight, uh, straight male. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's accurate. Uh, <laughs> there, it basically lo- the, the crime aspect of this, it's a, bu- a bunch of women who are working in a nail salon, um, female-owned business, and they're running, they're basically laundering money for one of the pill mills down the street. And mm. things kind of go south because that pill mill is run by the Dixie Mafia. And 
that's actually the the best Breaking Bad connection because the Dixie Mafia boss is Dean Norris, the same guy who played Hank on Breaking Bad. Oh, <laughs> that's hysterical. But in this show, his, his character is named Uncle Daddy. He's like a bisexual uh, mafioso. It's brilliant. Wow. And honestly, between Niecy Nash playing the, the female lead, Judy Reyes from Scrubs shows up wow. as like a regular character. I really was really impressed by how much I really enjoyed this show. It was a compelling drama. And I, I mean, glad it ended what it did with the fourth season. But honestly, if you're missing your Breaking Bad fix, Claws isn't a bad way to go. Cheryl actually saw all of it as well. So she's 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 fully versed in, in, in that show. Nice. As far as I know, she enjoyed it. So how how like I guess you guys haven't seen Ozark, right? No. Because that's no that's about money laundering as well. So I guess I was gonna see like, you know, how similar this is to that. You know, uh-huh. the whole premise of that show is, you know, he's money laundering and he gets involved in all these sketchy businesses so that he can facilitate money laundering for drug cartels. But so, so like Nisi Nash, she's doing money laundering out of this nail salon. Is she like trying to play both sides or is she like constantly like trying to avoid getting in trouble with the, the mafia? Yeah. I mean, she's trying to avoid getting in trouble with them and she's kind of had a, has a rom- romantic relationship with one of the, the guys in the Dixie mafia. So it gets weird. And he tries to get in and out and also tries to make her own money. Like, her own way it, it kind of goes all over the place so there's a little bit of playing both sides and it, it de- there are definitely tons of twists and turns and there's the added element of Nisi Nash also taking care of this uh, mentally d- disabled brother so that adds oh, wow. other mm. part of it it's kind of it's interesting well Nisi Nash is always fantastic and uh, you know I love anything about money laundering I always find that stuff so interesting so I'm sold Woohoo! Yay for white collar crime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not pitching white collar, but I appreciate it. <laughs> so I'm pitching the show Fosse Verdon because Woo. I think we we all appreciate theater stuff. This is actually a really done, interesting bio-limited series about that kind of goes from the start and end of career of Bob Fosse and how integral Gwen Verdon was to all of it, which I didn't actually appreciate until I saw the show. Like, I didn't really know who Gwen Verdon was. And then Kate, we were watching it and Kate's like, you don't know who this is? I'm like, no, I don't. I'm sorry. I know Bob Fosse is. But Gwen Verdon was actually a, a bigger star for a while before Bob Fosse got his his rise. And then she helped him did a lot of the work on, on his projects. So it's interesting to watch both his creative process and her interaction with it and, and their marriage, both artistic Hmm. and actual like romantic marriage. As they go through that, it's only an eight episode limited series. So it's a pretty, it's not the biggest investment, but it's all worth it because Michelle Williams knocks it out of the park as Gwen Verdon the entire time. Like I I don't have to say too much else other than Michelle Williams, but they do a lot of interesting stuff between fantasy sequences and flashbacks because the, the directors clearly had some sort of theatrical background and they, they add the element to it, which adds to the fact that, you know, they're doing the show about theater performances and rehearsals and all this stuff. But honestly, hearing Bob Fosse, you know, running rehearsals and saying again, again, mm-hmm. over again, we'll mm-hmm. have you saying it. And considering the number of times I've edited the word ag- again out of this podcast, based on it being said over and over again, (laughs) 
like there's there's not a, it just, you, you, the show you, you blame the series you blame the series then right? I I do blame the series <laughs> but honestly this this is an excellent excellent show for even if you didn't think you were interested in either of those people yeah I mean this is this was on my radar it's something I definitely wanted to go see I was obviously waiting to watch it with Cheryl um since she she would also appreciate uh, the, this element off off of it and whatnot can you uh, could you uh, let everyone know who actually plays Fozzie oh isn't Sam Rockwell it is that's yeah. I, 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 yeah, just just to know if people have another uh, common knowledge of that. <laughs> yeah, that I I mean, on the face of it, that seems actually like a sort of unusual or unexpected casting to play Bob Fosse. Yeah, he does a good job. Honestly, Michelle Williams kind of outshines him in my mind the whole time. So that's what I was like. <laughs> Fair. I think it's yeah. Rockwell. Well. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, he he does a great job as well. I feel like his his dance sequence in uh in the Charlie's Angels uh, movie kind of was his pre-audition to, for this series in, later in life. There you go. Jazz hands. You know, I think we all remember what it was like to be a middle school age girl in the early 2000s. Like, we, we can all say that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm pitching the show Pen15, which is on Hulu. It's a Hulu original. It's got two seasons, and it could potentially blend in with all of the other, you know, any number of comedy dramas about high schoolers and middle schoolers. But this one stands out for a particularly interesting device that follows two young women as the, the primary leads. Uh, it was created, created by them, actually, and written uh, mostly by Maya Erskine and Anna Kunkel. The, they are in their tw- mid-20s or mid to late 20s. <laughs> However, wow. But what they did was they decided to play the, the two characters named Maya and Anna in middle school, but then have the, in, the entire rest of the cast be middle school aged actors. Oh, crazy. <laughs> wow. Okay. It sounds so weird. And, but it's never, that's never the joke. And I think that's why it works because honestly they do really funny, silly portrayals of kind of themselves a little bit, uh, probably a lot, a lot of it actually. And at the same time, keeping true to all the awkwardness and, and weirdness about that period of time in middle school that folks are going through. And it also captures era-specific stuff, like using AOL Instant Messenger for the first time, like all that stuff. Nice. It's, it's fascinating. One of my favorite episodes comes later in the first season where there's an arc where both of them get involved in school play, which if you can make it, if you'll probably like the show. But if you make it to that, that really pays off because one of them becomes an actor and the other one becomes like a backstage backstage person. And they're they're technically best friends, but there's some tension there as, as mm. we've been through. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know, there's a very clear hierarchy and some people who are actors can sort of lose a little touch of, of you know, other people's contributions to the show. 100%. True. There is one other kind of quirk in terms of the casting. So the one person I think you would know from uh, from other stuff is Richard Karn plays Maya's father, who is oh, Al nice. Borland on Home Improvement. Oh, yeah. But then her mother is played by her actual mother in real life, who is not a trained <laughs> actor. Wow. <laughs> What's that like? Surprisingly good. It's re- it's actually, she does a really good job. There, even in the second season, there's an entire episode that's dedicated to just her mom. And I think she kills it. It's kind of like Never Have I Ever, but just weird. And in the right <laughs> ways. <laughs> well, you know, this whole acting thing, it's not that hard. 
if the rock can figure it out, you know. That's the, exactly. Well, I think that having your actual mother there is going to create its own sort of tension and dynamic on, on that you you might not unconsciously or consciously realize is happening. I think so. Oh, totally. Yeah, it, it was definitely weird, and um, I've heard interviews them t- uh, with them talking about the whole process, and there was some tension there, but it, it worked out ultimately. <laughs> I mean, uh, the show's great; it's won awards. It's it probably should have gone longer, but it, it's good for what we got. Yeah, I've seen I've seen uh, uh, I've seen you know trailers and, and, and whatnot, especially when the new the later seasons were dropping, obviously in Hulu, and yeah, I mean it, it looks hilarious, honestly. Yeah, sounds like it's worth uh, checking out. So I was a little surprised when on our list, neither of you had seen the show BoJack Horseman because it's it's on Netflix. And (laughs) I mean, it's gotten tons of accolades, but. So, so whenever I'm on Reddit and there's like a discussion about TV shows and like the best shows, uh, constantly BoJack Horseman comes up, but I just assume everyone on Reddit is like 14 and I'm not. So (laughs) fair. That's fair, but it's actually, Quite excellent. I mean, those 14-year-olds know what they're talking about, surprisingly. <laughs> for once. <laughs> I mean, for those who aren't aware, it's a animated comedy about a um, horse in Hollywood who had a hit show in the 90s called Horsing Around. And he's now, like, you know, it's, it's that present day. He's washed up. He's completely self-centered. But has tons of money. He's alienated all his friends, which I know is the is hilarious, but uh, on top of itself. But really, there the show is as dense joke as like the Simpsons or community, even with this. And they make the, the kind of mix of anthropomorphized animal animals and humans mixing in this world's work. Like there's jokes on tops of jokes on tops of, on top of jokes. But at the same time, it ends up being incredibly intense and introspective and quite depressing, but in a good way. <laughs> Like I go through the whole gamut. I I watched. I first I thought the show was dumb when it when I first saw the trailers for it. I had no interest either, but I I just left left my wife and I was looking for anything to distract myself from something. And then I put on this show and I was like, this is really funny. And then I got to the point in in the fir- towards the end of the first season where suddenly he Bojack realizes how terrible of a person he is and he wonders if there's any way to redeem himself. And I'm like, oh my god. This is this show is just like this amazing, like emotional roller coaster, and it's all honest and real. Like it's it doesn't feel over. I don't to me it didn't ever felt over the top. It felt like the the emotions felt like things I've felt before, and 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 honest and and truly when they're sliding when they're not sliding in jokes, they're they're just having honest interactions with each other. Even though we're talking about an, a, a talking horse having these conversations with a talking dog. It shouldn't work, but it does. And let's be real. that The fact that in the third season, they had an entire episode where there wasn't a single line of dialogue and it was one of the best episodes of TV that year. Like, it's it's really mm. worth your time. I, I that's This is one of my favorites. I, and I absolutely think you guys should check it out. And I, I believe Reddit, I guess is what I'm going <laughs> to say. Between the fact that Will Arnett, Aaron Paul, and Alison Brie are like some of the leads. Nice. It- Oh, okay, so I'm not 14, and I haven't left my wife uh, recently. Am I still going to get something from this, though? I think so. I, I really think you will. I mean, if nothing else, the show is hilarious. There, mm. there are lots of really good jokes, like just randomly thrown in there, and they're, and they're really well done. So you're saying we should not uh, look a gift horseman in the mouth? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's right. Nay way, Jose. Which he says over and over again at some point. Nice. I I, I love it already. (laughs) (laughs) And true that. And and honestly, it's something that builds over time because six seasons is a a long way to. It's easy to make six. It went to six. Okay. I I, I remember saying the advertisements were four back in the day, but I didn't know it had gotten all the way to six. How long is the season? Like how many episodes? Uh, it's 10, 10 episodes a season. And the episodes are, okay. 30 minutes. episodes are 30 minutes. So you can blaze through them pretty quick. Okay. But I mean, six seasons, that's a, you know, that's, that's a formidable uh, series right there. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there okay. is one episode that's an entire, just an entire monologue at a funeral. Oh my wow. goodness. Okay. Yeah. It's like a lot. So I do think it's worth watching, but it's a lot. That this is like some ambitious writers, and they have got a long leash at Netflix if they're getting allowed to have an episode with no talking in an episode that is a speech at a funeral for an animated series about a talking horse. Oh, 100%. I mean, this was True. early. I feel this was early, early enough that they were still just greenlighting everything. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I don't know if it would have made it today, but I'm glad that I'm glad it did. Those new executives would have cut that thing off by the uh, third episode. Seriously. Probably. And win it up on Roku. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and, the, and the Redditors might still enjoy it either way. In contrast of all the Cold War spy stuff that Dan has pitched on the, the show, I actually fell in love with this show called Sacred Games on Netflix. Uh, at some point, it's... Hmm. I call it an action thriller based in uh, in Mumbai, and I it's not something I'd necessarily run to, but I ended up watching it because uh, my my mom and my aunt were visiting, and I was like, "What can I put on that will <laughs> someone's interest, or at least like two thirds of the room?" It and it I put on the show and it worked because my <laughs> stared sat there for like hours watching like binging the entire first season. And wow, the same shows. She just wants to watch Indian stuff, and I just want to watch anything else. So, <laughs> the show is based on a novel. It's about a, a Mumbai cop who gets a mysterious phone call from an organized crime boss who had disappeared for sixteen years, and he just he just tells the cop, "You have twenty five days to save the city," and it kind of just goes from there. Wow. And I think. That on its own, like it's kind of a it got a good like twenty four vibe to it, but this actually went in further into you know the history of like Mumbai crime and hit like the actual crime lord's rise like over the years and where he was like when he disappeared. So that stuff itself, it, it was it's a great change of pace from like the the Bollywood stuff that you know of fluff that usually comes out, and it's a lot grittier and. I think it definitely is the kind of thing that would pull in a U.S. audience. And that's why I thought you guys might be interested in it. I always, well, I, I was talking about this the other day with you guys. I actually really like international shows and I've always found Indian shows particularly interesting. Not shows, movies. I, I just love that whole slice of life from a culture that is, you know, for the most part substantially different from the U.S. So I'm always looking for a good uh, Indian drama to watch. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 there's a lot of. It's interesting you mentioned Mumbai because there's. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of this. Uh, there's this one series that I also saw 
on on Netflix uh, that was all based in uh, Turkey, actually. And so it's very interesting that they they they're focusing on that city and on specifically the organized crime bit. And I think that'd be super fascinating. Uh, it, the other part of it is cool too. The twenty four part of it is cool, but I think the the this, the city based element would really attract me because that's it always fascinates me. How many episodes is the show? Oh, it's uh, two seasons. I think it's like 10 to 13 episodes each. Um, but they did get two seasons. I think it could have gone longer, but unfortunately they kept it at two. Okay. Hmm. All right. Do you guys like Maria Bamford's stand-up? She's a stand-up comedian. Have you guys heard of her? I, I, am, I am not familiar with her. Okay. She was a uh, she was she she was also on uh, a frequent uh, guest on at midnight as well back in the day, uh, with uh, with Chris Hardwick. So again, she she's she's actually very funny. I've seen some of her stand up as well. I think she's pretty funny. Yeah, she's a fascinating stand up and very much her own like unique thing. She's done. She deals with a lot of random mental illness, uh, unfortunately, and just has an interesting style. She has actually done one of the most interesting stand up specials I think I've seen in that. I uh, think it's called the special, special, special. She did the entire thing in her the living room of her parents' house, just for her parents, but then taped it for for broadcast. <laughs> it's, wow. it's kind of brilliant. Okay, and wow, that kind of stuff it it, um, it carries over to the show that I'm pitching, which is Lady Dynamite, two seasons on Netflix, and it, it's semi autobiographical in that it covers her you know, recovering from a mental breakdown in, in a facility, moving back with her parents and then getting back into her career as a stand-up comedian. But it's incredibly surreal. I was re-watching the pilot this morning. I forgot how weirdly surreal it is because she's literally trying to, as part of getting back into the neighborhood and living in, in LA again, she's trying to uh, squash a beef she apparently had with the lead singer of Sugar Ray, Mark McGrath. It's very That's... odd. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets really meta. But it's got that it's Mitchell Hurwitz, the you know producer of Arrested Development, is actually was one of the execs on this, and it it does this weird flip all the time, and I love the way she gets weirdly meta about stuff, and they flip back and forth between the past and the present, so there is a, a edge of drama to it, but it's kind it's it's still engaging. I do think you need to like her style of humor to not get annoyed with it, but I I still think it's broad enough for people for for folks to enjoy and there are just lots of random stand-up comedian cameos and on top of that you also get ed, ed begley jr and mary Kay place play her parents out of out of nowhere ed begley jr kills it as her dad he's so weird yeah this definitely sounds intriguing to me i think i think that conceptually you know again, i did not see the special 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 which also sounds amazing with it with its own right but i think that you know this concept behind this is very unique and i think it's also great that we're you know seeing things that you know portray mental illness you know and can really you know help people kind of uh, not just identify with it but also kind of help normalize it via the via the medium as well so i think that's also great on a number of levels in that regard and and it's also funny too there's kind of a weird i realize there's a theme between this way up and then and then this show <laughs> just kind of dealing with random mental illness i don't know I, these are the shows i i seem to to gravitate to so no, we we all do it. So the way you described the show, I just totally assumed this was a millennial we were talking about, and then oh, no. I, I just googled Maria Bamford, and she's she's actually older than we are. Uh, which yes. I, I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting. The idea of somebody in their late forties or early fifties having to move back home. And, 
you know, deal with like a lot of you know, life issues and trying to get themselves back on track. Hmm. Oh yeah. It's, it's totally fascinating. It's, it's, I think it's worth a shot because it also tracks the part of her career where she got really famous and because she was in a Target commercial that like made her a ton of money. Right. And then, <laughs> right. And then like, you know, that sort of weird downfall because she's got a lot of anxiety. So yeah, I think it's worth a shot. Were you guys wondering where, when the singer of the song, fuck me, Ray Bradbury was going to get her own show. <laughs> and I, I know that's one of the most amazing songs anyone has ever seen. If you haven't heard Fuck Me, Ray Bradbury, check it out. It's on YouTube. The video was amazing. And the show, the, the singer is Rachel Bloom. The show is called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It was on the CW. It's now, all four seasons are now available on Netflix. And so the show is actually, the theme song, for the at least for the first season, explains the show mostly because it's about Rachel Bloom's character, who's a uh, high-powered lawyer in New York City, who's about to become partner at her firm, and she runs into the guy she had a camp romance with when she was twelve, and realizes there might this there might still be something there, and so she declines the promotion for at her big law firm in New York City and moves to West Covina, California, to try and win him back. <laughs> okay. Wow. And obviously, I mean, that is kind of why it's called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but it's a lot more nuanced than that, which she points out during the theme song. And honestly, you probably missed it because it was on the CW, and I don't know who was watching that if you weren't watching Arrowverse stuff. Does that even still exist, the CW? I think so, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, It kind of of does, kind of doesn't. It's it's one of those things in limbo with the ongoing, you you know, merger of everything. So we'll see what happens when it's fully fledged. See, this is this sounds like a show that was made for Netflix. Yeah, right. It does, yeah. but it, yeah, this was on broadcast TV. I think they're originally trying to pitch it to Showtime, if I remember correctly. But then it ended up going to the CW. It is a musical show. Each episode has two songs. She wrote them with the guy who wrote the song "Stacy's Mom," Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne. Foundations, yeah, 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 of course. And actually, somebody we went to college with, Zach Shortwin, uh, wrote. I was going to mention that. I was going to mention that. Yeah, and I know Jason. I know. Uh, musicals aren't necessarily a thing, but what I'd like to read is 10 of the song titles from the show, because I think <laughs> these might win you over. So starting from the top, there's I Go to the Zoo, Heavy Boobs, <laughs> A Boy Band Made of Four Joshes, <laughs> Period Sex. There you go. Let's Generalize About Men. My favorite, Don't Be a Lawyer. <laughs> Settle for me. <laughs> Antidepressants are not are are so not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. The first penis I saw. <laughs> and finally, I love my daughter, but not in a creepy way. <laughs> it actually got All right. the okay. performances live. Yeah. It's so well written and it's it's really well thought out. It is another show that kind of examines uh, mental illness and but it, with humor and, and drama. So, and, and, you know, and honest seriousness. So I think it's worth a shot. Uh, and I, the songs always work within, within the show itself. It doesn't feel they're, they're particularly extraneous. I don't think. Yeah. So, so Cheryl did watch this entire, this entire show. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I may have like heard like random lines walking by. I, I never stayed around to watch or pay attention or whatnot, but I have heard the names of some of these songs mentioned in like on Twitter or other places like that. So it's like, I feel like that, you know, 
just hearing the titles kind of like okay yeah I, this does kind of spark that curiosity because like, one of those things like everyone says oh you should totally watch a show you know because it's got musical stuff in it and i'm like yeah i'll get to it maybe once when, when i get to it but i guess i never just got back around to it but now i have an opportunity to do so yeah i i think i'm going to check this out with anna because this you know i've heard this show is funny uh and i feel like this is right up her alley too and if you want to give her a sample, just I, I think let's generalize about men or the first penis I saw are available on YouTube, and uh, nice. you can just take a little sample. There you go. So I don't want to I don't want to like put into my YouTube search the first penis I saw. Yeah, yeah. You probably just want to look for crazy ex girlfriend clips, and I think that should be yeah. your search parameter. Right exactly. There. <laughs> fair. Guys, we're going back to England with another show that takes all right. Place. This time with with all with an expat, a lesbian Canadian comedian who lives in London, and then falls in love with an audience member who's been straight up until that point. The show is called but it's got two seasons on Netflix, and the main lead is played by May Martin, who is a stand-up comedian in real life. She's very funny, and it also has a couple of people that well, there's one person you definitely know, but ultimately it's. It's about her dealing with this new relationship, but also dealing with the fact that she is an addict or in recovery. And she left Canada to move on with her life a little bit. May Martin has this like serious deadpan delivery that really works from a comedian standpoint. And it just works in the show. And so in terms of her working through these feelings and, and trying to trying to have a relationship with someone who is, uh, you know, up until recently thought they were just straight and, and trying to navigate that makes it kind of, I think it makes it really interesting because, I mean, it's anxiety and behind anxiety and trying to, to work through that and also have a career as a stand-up comedian makes for an interest, interesting time. The other two people that kind of pop up that you may know are Charlotte Ritchie, who popped up in the UK version of Ghost. She was the lead, female right. lead in that. Yep. She's been in a couple other random things. Uh, and then Lisa Kudrow plays Mae Martin's mom. I don't know where they get the Kudro to do this, <laughs> but she does a great job. Hey. She's got nothing else going on. She's bored. Like she, she like she'll take an opportunity to you know just to keep busy. She's been in retirement for the last you know twenty years. Seriously, yeah, yeah. She, she had a handful of movies like right after Friends, but that was about it. Yeah, yeah. But this this sounds super interesting. And I, I definitely like you know this is definitely a cool dynamic and you know the backdrop of you know not just being kind of stranger in a strange land, if you will, although Canada and England are not necessarily strange. I'm not sure I'd call Canada and England strange, but. Well, so, I, mean, I mean, well, again, you know, it's, it's, they're similar in nature, but I guess, you know, Canada's still a little bit, a little bit different. I don't know. than England, I would say. It's Canada's like a lot like America, just, you know, with a little like UK leftovers. Yeah, you know? that's, like, that's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah, and, and, a, and a little bit of French spice. Yeah, <laughs> less anxious, I would say. Though they've got their problems. I've been listening to a podcast called Canada Land, and wow, it makes it. Turns out they have a lot of problems. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I read the Canada uh, Reddit pages, and they've got all the same problems we've got here, just slightly different. And not just Rob Ford either. Oh God. No. Yeah. Okay. So this the show sounds interesting. Uh, you know, I, I do wonder if you're an addict, if moving to London is the best place to, you know, 
work on that. But I, I, I thought the same thing, actually. I was going to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her parents didn't necessarily agree with it either. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> was, as you'll see when you, watch, when you hopefully watch the show. All right, so I understand Jason has famously stated that all reboots are terrible. <laughs> all of them, except for the kids in the hall. That one's actually not bad. Okay, see, there Ooh, are exceptions yeah, yeah. to this rule. It's no there longer are. blanket. And so I would submit for further evidence that not all reboots are terrible and say the one day at a time reboot that was on Netflix and then the fourth season moved to pop was actually really good. Huh. Did you guys watch one day at a time when you were growing up? I did not. No. I caught it on reruns, but in this case, they took the the old sitcom with and truly rebooted it from it being a single mother who was raising uh, a son and a daughter and who kept having an interfering um, superintendent and replaced her with a veteran of Cuban descent played by Justina Machado. And then the grandmother gets played by Rita Moreno, who kills it the whole time. And... The kids are great because there is a son and a daughter. There's, you know, they follow that part of the formula. And Norman Lear, the guy who produced the original, you know, uh, One Day at a Time and also All in the Family and a bunch of other amazing sitcoms, stayed on to help work on this reboot. So I think in that sense, it, it's it got a lot of the core key staff and they do an, a genuinely good job with it. Kind of, you know, watch, following the single mother who was a, you know, a a veteran who's trying to make her way back into nursing and working for a, do- a doctor um, in a doctor's office, d- doing a lot of the sitcom tropes, but handling it in that with that Norman Lear sensibility. Cause I, I love all in the family. I think that's one of the best sitcoms of all time. And Absolutely. Marita Moreno does not lose a, has not lost a step at all. She is still sassy as hell and amazing. She is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, as one of the first EGOTs ever there, right there. So yeah, no, she, she kills it. So I think it's worth a shot. All right. Yeah. Is there anything from the original that we should know about other than the, the, the premise? Or No, I, I don't think you actually have to have seen the original to, to enjoy the new one because they, they truly made it very accessible. I mean, it really is just single mom raising kids with an, a randomly interfering uh, superintendent who is now a uh, hipster who owns the building and is gentrifying oh, their Cuban neighborhood. <laughs> so. Accurate. Yeah. So it ends up working out pretty well, I think. Cool. Yeah, awesome. So, I don't know about you guys, but I got a little tired of rewatching 30 Rock and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for my Tina Fey fix. <laughs> they were great comfort watches, but I've watched them a million times. Do you guys, would it be fair to say you guys kind of have rewatched them or recycled through those at some point? Uh, I've never finished uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, I've watched 30 Rock. Probably twice over at this point. That's a I love that show. It's 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 fair. Yeah, they're both rewatchable. That you know. So if you're looking for something basically with the same sensibility and style, but you kind of you don't want to watch Thirty Rock for like the this the third time, I would recommend the show Great News, which I don't think oh. got enough love. I did not I did not check it out. So yeah, I I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, what is this show? So it's another Tina Fey, um, Robert Carlock production, and it's basically about a news producer working in New York City, played by Brigitte Heelan, who I don't know her from much else, but she 
ends up having to move to New Jersey and work at a, a local affiliate based in Secaucus. So Dan, this is basically based on <laughs> Channel 9 News. That's amazing. Amazing. WWOR TV. Yeah. And her mother, her retired mother, who keeps interfering with her life constantly, decides to go back to school and she needs an internship. And so her mom, played by Andrea Martin, who is in also in uh, Difficult People, right, applies for an internship working at her daughter's news station and gets it. That's amazing. <laughs> and she get, gets it partially because she gets along with one of the anchors, played by John Michael Higgins, who... That guy, I can watch him do anything. Honestly, he he's all he's like he, as much as he reminds me of Fred Willard, he's just so good. He he stands apart from himself. So the the mother's ability to relate to John Michael Higgins gets her the job, and then she just spends her entire meddling in her daughter's life at work. <laughs> so, That's classic. Honestly, it's a great setup. It, yeah, they, they, and they do. It's it's got the exact you know same Thirty Rock sensibility that you know that timing that that pace and. Probably the the weirdest icing on the cake with this one is that uh, do you guys remember Nicole Richie, Paris Hilton's friend? Of oh yeah. yeah, yeah. She plays the other anchor, and she's actually really good on the show. Oh, <laughs> like ah. I did not expect that. Wow. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. It, it, it's on Netflix. It, there there are two full seasons of it. I wish they had gotten more. But if you're looking for more Thirty Rock stuff, this is great news. Is a great way to go. Are there any cameos by Mario Cantone? There might actually be, which is kind of entirely Wait, possible. I, I just have like those those memories. Or was it a Steam Pipe Alley? Was it the show he's on? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a throwback right there for me. Seriously. You guys like the show Archer, right? Yes. Never. I've never you, seen it. You've never seen Archer? Okay. No. Nope. Fair enough. Then maybe this is more of a Dan pitch. But honestly, Dan, <laughs> have you you've seen Archer? And I know what you're thinking. It's not gay enough. It's <laughs> no. not gay. And because to quote Laszlo Cravensworth from What We Do in the Shadows, trust me, gay is in, gay is hot, gay is I want some gay, and gay it's gonna be. And that's what you get with the Netflix show Q Force, which honestly oh. people really probably consider just to be gay archer. It is and it isn't. So Q4 is a little bit column A, a little bit column B. Yeah. It's really good. It it has a, it's got Sean Hayes, uh, Wanda oh, Sykes, nice. Patty Harrison, Matt Rogers, if you know him, David Harbour shows up, and they all they all do voices wow. in in this show about um, a gay CIA like agent who comes out at like his CIA graduation ceremony, whatever. And then it gets, well, I guess they call it AIA, but yeah. at the spy agencies, written graduate comes out and then they screw him over immediately and post him in West Hollywood. Uh, and course. so he ends up with this other group of like randomly gay spies and they try to figure out their way to actually prove that they don't need to be looked over, that they're actually really, really good and really capable. And it's kind of a really nice story. I mean, it, it's bundled in like an ad, adult animation cartoon. But uh, between all those people, it only got one season, unfortunately. But I do think oh, it's wow. worth it because it's a pretty small commitment. And the story is interesting. And it's kind of cool to see this kind of uh, LGBTQ AI plus representation. And that's coming from a cis white male. So, Or no, I'm not white. I feel like it every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that's, 
I'm not white. I just, I just play one on this podcast. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but, but yeah, so I think, I think it's a great show. And honestly, we all know Archer isn't gay enough, even though it does have one gay character. So finally. True. Yeah. No, no I, I, it's funny because like, I, I feel like I this definitely crept under my radar. I think it just has to do with the sheer volume of shows that Netflix puts out now. Yeah. And I think that that's really why a lot of stuff just will fly under my radar. Unless like I hear it in, you know, Discord or from, from you know, one of you guys or one of our other friends, you know, I, I might not even know that it exists sometimes, right? So, yeah, no, this, this sounds right up my alley for sure. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sort of intrigued by the whole concept of, uh, you know, gay spy comedy. That, I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard that described as a uh, as a TV show before, no, exactly, right? It's it's unique. It's it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, you get awkward spies, right? Like, say you're Johnny English, for example. <laughs> I can't. Believe I, I make another Johnny English reference right now, but yeah, but you see, like those are like the reluctant spies kind of situations. This is. I agree with Jason. This is definitely unique. <laughs> I don't know how many true crime documentaries you guys have seen or true crime mockumentaries. I don't know if that's a big genre for you guys. Maybe like, because the one I, I seem to go to is Making a Murderer. Have you guys seen that? Or where? I have not. Okay. Well, that that's not what I'm pitching. I'm actually pitching a true crime mockumentary that's a lot, that reminds me a lot of Making a Murderer, and that's American Vandal. So American Vandal is on Netflix. Uh, there are two seasons out. They hit the tone just right because it, very much feels like an actual true crime documentary, but it's, it's basically focused. Each season is focused on individual stories involving high schoolers and vandalism. And they kind of work it into the, into the extracurricular activities. Like the the two guys are making the documentary or part of like this audio visual club. And they realized that there was this horrific act of vandalism on campus where someone spray painted 27 dicks on cars throughout the school parking lot. <laughs> nice. And so everyone's trying to figure out who drew the dicks. And one particular person gets blamed for it. And, you know, they, they go through the fallout of that. But as you go through, there's more to it. And that, you know, works through the whole season. The second season actually probably might be even more up your alley, Dan. I kind of like the first season a little bit better. But the second season involves someone called the turd burglar who... <laughs> <laughs> like but a bunch of laxatives in the lunchroom and everyone crapped their pants simultaneously. Oh, <laughs> almost as good as the, the, the brown note episode from South park. Oh, I think it's better. Yeah. Oh my God. It, it's, <laughs> it's so well done. Cause it's pitch perfect. Like they're even doing like the little recreations recreations of like, you know what it would take to actually like draw like 27 dicks and just the, uh, you know, the little CGI uh, recreations you'll see in like <sighs> true crime documentaries. They nailed the pitch. So perfect. I, I definitely think it's up your alley and it, it's just a good time. Cause it's hilarious. Oh my goodness. That sounds absolutely incredible. And I, I, I haven't seen making a murderer, but I've seen the other, like, or I've seen several other true crime documentaries like bad vegan. So I, I love that genre. And so, you know, watching this total send up of it sounds incredible. So can we officially call this new American graffiti? Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Man, it looks it looks it sounds pretty good, man. I mean, I get I think that you know the 
I've seen a lot of these, you know, mockumentary type style shows, you know, and whatnot. And a lot of them grow to me, regardless of the, the genre or subgenre they're into. So, yeah, this sounds like a good, good ride. You guys know I famously hate the 80s, right? <laughs> yes. You've mentioned this before. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. We've got an exception. So from the creator of Happy Endings and executive producers Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg again, the show Black Monday on Showtime is kind of amazing. It's enough for me to not hate the 80s for like, you know, for three seasons of the show, which I, I was hoping for a fourth, but we at least got three. And that that's brilliant. It's basically a stock exchange heist movie in a sense, but I say movie. I mean, okay. and it stars Don Cheadle, uh, Regina Hall and Andrew Reynolds. Yes. I love Andrew Reynolds. Oh, oh wait. So, th- so this show was called black Monday, right? Yes. So is it like literally about black Monday on the stock market from the eighties? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you've got my interest. Oh yeah, yeah, it's right up your alley. It's 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 fictionalized, but just the characters themselves are so quintessentially eighties and mostly on cocaine the entire time. It's <laughs> perfect. There's even like an appearance by Kadeem. Wait, I forget it's Arsenio Hall or Kadeem Hardison. It could be either one. But either one is a, is a valid reference, right? Yeah, if you if you liked happy endings, it definitely carries like the same a similar joke style, but it's a lot more intense and a lot more. I'm key for something that's super fueled by cocaine. <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of this. It's a TV show about the 1987 stock crash slash heist, but it's by the same person who did happy endings and it's a comedy, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I, it sort of relates to Black Monday, but I don't know if, if the timing works out exactly right, but it's okay around that general concept. Okay. So. I, I think I think it'll work for you guys. I think you'll love it. This was actually on my list, actually, just because of, of, the, of the cast. So I, I just I just never got around to it. So I'm, I'm glad that you pitched it. I've completely not heard of this, and this sounds fascinating. Like I, I don't even know what to make of this. The way you're describing this, it, it sounds incredible. However, yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think you'll love it. All right. Do, do either of you guys have relatives or? Have your parents bought stuff from QVC or the Home Shopping Network? No, Not we don't that live in that kind of household. Not that I know. I, th- I think my great aunt might have bought something from QVC. Then maybe this is slightly less relatable because I've definitely have relatives have made Home Shopping Network purchases. Some of them, some of them are decent. Others are very questionable. But you've at least, you're at least familiar with the concept, so I think you'll like the the show. I love that for you, which is also on Showtime. It's got one season down and there's another one coming and it's kind of, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to like it, but it's kind of a fascinating concept. Essentially, Vanessa Bayer plays this woman who has childhood leukemia. And, you know, after that kind of just um, graduates from high school, recovers, it all goes into remission and she becomes kind of obsessed with the the Home Shopping Network uh, or the, the version on the show. And she tries to be a presenter on it. And, I don't want to give too much away because there there is a lot up front that it, it's an interesting enough twist, but she basically does anything she can in her power to keep the job because at that point she's living her dream and she's working with her <laughs> idols. Like Molly Shannon is one of her idols in the, in the show. Oh, wow. 
Jennifer Lewis, who I guess was the, uh, she was the grandmother on Blackish, but uh, she's also done a bunch of other stuff was on it. Sure. And yeah. so the season kind of follows her get, you know, getting the opportunity to be on the show and doing anything she can to actually stay on it. But in a very Vanessa Bayer sort of way, so that, that awkwardness from, from mm-hmm. that still there, she's very much Vanessa Bayer because this is kind of, she actually had uh, child, leuke- le- child leukemia in real life. So oh, wow. Oh, seriously? I didn't know it's that. Autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so there, there's that part of it. And the show ends up being utterly brilliant, I think, by the end of it, because you get to see the kind of knot she tries to twist herself in to stay on the show. I'm super excited there's a Vanessa Bayer show out there. Uh, yes. I think she is the yes. most underappreciated SNL cast member in yes. history. She's incredible. So I think that's fantastic. I'm going to check it out solely to go see Vanessa Bayer. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the concept is pretty wild. And I think that there's so much of that subculture in the QVC or Home Shopping Network ilk it's usually you know placed in a gag or as part of a thing for example i think i think bones did an episode with a murder that was related to someone who was a a host on on one of these networks or whatnot but it never kind of gets its full due into that into that culture into the behind the scenes especially so i think that's really fascinating in that itself in fact that mr Mr. bear is in it i'm with jason on this Okay, so you don't know anyone who has actually bought anything from QVC or Home Shopping Network, but you guys have to know someone who's been involved in a multi-level marketing scheme at some point, right? Am I the only one who's had relative Unf- tried to, unfortunately, to get on one of those? Unfor- unfortunately, yes, I, I yes, I, I've been pitched. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's been a long time, but got pitched some knives once years ago. Oh God, Cutco knives. Yep, Cutco. Cutco, yep. I still have them. I've used them for like 25 years now. Or oh, they're really good. Like 20 years. They're yeah. Really good, yeah. I almost, yeah. I think I almost end up working for them at some point. I don't know. I got pulled into that one summer at some We're, Working for them or, yes. you know, yeah. selling, yeah. Selling, I yeah, almost, selling Cutco. I almost got pulled in. I went to the information session as a favor to my friend who was, was uh, Tom. Oh, I mm. yeah. So I, I don't remember you guys remember him or not, but yeah. So so he he got me in, and I went there, and I'm like, oh, I can't commit. It just was too many hours. I couldn't do it. So hours weren't good for me. So gotcha. But well, thankfully none of us got really caught up in that because if you watch the show on Becoming a God in Central Florida on Showtime, you get the opportunity to see the darker side of MLMs. It basically it basically follows Kirsten Dunst and her hapless Ooh. husband who gets truly pulled in like 100% has bought in to the MLM lifestyle to the point where he's given up his job. He's buying doves to release at people's offices while wearing a stupid tuxedo. And wow. And she is pissed (laughs) and it doesn't go well for him. And Kirsten Dunst goes on a really interesting and darkly comedic journey to find a way to, to make it work for her. And it gets really intense and dark at times. Like I think we all forget how, well I do anyway, because maybe it's, I haven't seen her more recent stuff, but Kirsten Dunst is a really good actress. Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. if you're thinking about yeah, her as I, just a cheerleader, she's more than that. Oh no, no, she was, uh, she was in power of the dog. She was fantastic in that. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And right. She, is she, uh, I think she was on the second season of Fargo too, where she was also, she was really good in that. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. 
and this is more powerful stuff. I think she was actually one of the producers on this one. Unfortunately, it did only get one season, but honestly, like it, it's still worth it. Just checking out the one season because the whole process is completely insane. Re- I think it's a fascinating insight into how how dark MLMs can get. Boy, I mean, it sounds intriguing, but like I'm so off-put by MLMs, I'm like a little scared that I'm like, it's going to make me nauseous or something watching it. Oh, probably will. Yeah, that, that will probably happen. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I, I just saw a, a, an episode of uh, Leverage Redemption, actually, that dealt with an MLM. So yeah, I, I it, it might get under my skin, but I think that it sounds like to me that there is value behind that performance of her and I guess situationally and also just what she's bringing to the table. So yeah, we'll see. Do you guys ever watch Last Week Tonight with John Oliver and say, hey, I wish this was run by a millennial? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, why not? So I'd say that the answer to that is Z-Way. So Z-Way is a show on Showtime, I think in the middle of the second season as I'm recording this, uh, where basically... Z-Way Fromdo does this show where she tackles one issue every episode and she does celebrity interviews and it'll be things like, you know, tech bros or a white privilege or something like that. And mostly it's about her interviewing guests, making them incre- incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> and just kind of pushing people's buttons and then having it's, but it ends, it's got a variety show bent to it too, because there are random songs and other sketches work in, worked into it all centered around the theme. I mean, this is from a person who had an entire series about race baiting and trying to trying to actually interview her friends and and other celebrities and trying to get them to say racist things. So I know that sounds uncomfortable because it is, but it's actually pretty funny as long as you're in on the joke and you're not the one sitting there. Right. Uh, my favorite interview with, that she did was with Chet Hanks. Wow. Who, I don't know how familiar you... I know Dan's kind of familiar with Chet Hanks. Jason... I I mean I know I've heard the stories I don't know a lot about him but I I know he's a bit of a mess yeah oh yeah yeah so it, it's literally Z-Way as an African American woman gets to interview him about his appropriation of of black culture it's it's a goddamn blur. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so on a level of a level of un, un, uncomfortability if you're talking about that where would this be in with regards to guests on Between Two Ferns. Oh, it's right up there. If not, cranked up a little bit more. Dang. Like man. I think I think she That's kind wild. of took that that model and pushed it up a little bit because it's less just generally insulting, but truly trying to get these people in weird situations and 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 pressing them on stuff. But the jokes are clear. But it, man, it is uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, I just I just watched another random clip that came up on on my on my feed uh, from from Between Two Friends. It was with Brie Larson, and 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 he and he asked her, you know. I heard that you don't like getting pushed very hard when you were asking questions. So I'm going to ask, when was the first, uh, how old were you when you first got your period? So it's like, I'm like, wow. Yeah. Right up there. You know how sometimes sitcom characters get into ridiculously stupid borderline criminal situations and then just get to walk away scot-free and people are just like, 
Oh, that Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the time. Kind of working off that. I think you guys would like the show. Kevin can fuck himself. On uh, originally at AMC. Now I think might only be available on AMC Plus, but hopefully somewhere else. It's uh, a that's a great title, by the way. Oh yeah, yes, really. <laughs> I agree. But, so Annie Murphy from Shit's Creek is actually the lead. Oh wow! So this show takes place in Worcester, and <laughs> Annie, <laughs> Annie Murphy has a husband named Kev, the titular Kevin, who can fuck himself, and he is that guy. He is a. And what the show does is when Kevin's on screen, they do the the full single cam sitcom with a laugh track and all the lighting and stuff. So he's getting into this like absolute weird nonsense and it's very much pitched like a sitcom. But when he leaves, the, the scenes change and it's actually just like real life. And she's like, I can't believe he's doing this again. And so <laughs> literally... Annie Murphy's character, Allison, has been stuck in Worcester, married to this guy. He's thoughtless, inconsiderate, and a complete, complete asshole, and probably should be in jail for the rest of his life. But he gets away with everything, because in his world, he's always in this sitcom, while everyone else lives in the real world. <laughs> and then she gets fed up with it, and decides, Kevin, can you go fuck himself? It's, it's two full seasons that do go to conclusion. So I think that device alone was fascinating to me mm. and I think they do a good job making it work and they don't drag it out because it does end at the end of two seasons. I mean, this sounds fascinating actually. I'm kind of intrigued by it. I, I, I do wonder what that would actually look like with the, you know, cutting the jarring uh, cuts between, you know, traditional sitcom and then, you know, single cam. I'm just wondering how many series have been based in Worcester. <laughs> this has got to be the first one, right? It feels like it. I'm pretty it, sure it, it is. must be. Yeah, and the, yeah. I, you know, it's funny because I think I remember them shooting. They might have shot in Quincy, <laughs> for, <laughs> Quincy for Worcester, which was weird. That is an interesting choice. Yeah, well, poor Worcester. Like they get one show and they refuse to even shoot there. They're even. It's it's not even. It's like one thing if they're in LA. No, no, no. They went to Massachusetts, but they're not going to Worcester. Right. Worcester. Like, yeah, I mean pa- Patterson. The movie that we, we, we talked uh-huh. about shot in Patterson. So I don't see yeah. the... And no one's yeah. going to Patterson, New Jersey for any any good reason whatsoever. <laughs> and Unless they already live there. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Worcester. $1.25, please. <laughs> so a show with Glenn Howard's in played Dennis and always sunny. It's always sunny in Philadelphia as the lead always had the possibility, had possibility of falling into the trap of it being too like too much like Dennis. Like he's just too connected to the character. Mm, fair. I'll, I'll admit AP bio, which is now on Peacock originally aired on NBC did fall into that trap for a little bit, but ultimately they figured out that the show has an amazing ensemble, which includes Patton Oswalt, Paula Pell, and a bunch of other people, and, and some amazing actors as, as the students who just I wasn't familiar with because you know, they're a lot younger. But the show is basically about Glenn Howerton's character being a disgraced Harvard philosophy professor who has to move back to his hometown of Toledo, Ohio, get a, getting a job substitute teaching AP bio. But he doesn't actually know anything about biology because, as I mentioned, he's a philosophy professor. So... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. As a former high school teacher, 
Like, why is getting a high school, like a job as a teacher, like the ultimate failure? Oh, man, I really screwed up in life. I have to go become a teacher now. Like, come on, man. It's like a good job and it's very important. Okay, I agree with you. I agree. And so does everyone else in the show. Because they actually okay. like what they're okay. doing. And they're, they're like, why is he so obnoxious all the time? Just because he went, he used to teach at Harvard. And it's, you know, he doesn't actually really teach AP Bio the whole time. In the first season, he spends most of his time trying to get the kids to take revenge, help him take revenge on someone who slighted him. Another philosophy professor <laughs> who's really successful with a book. And wow. they just want to learn. And everyone else wants him to teach because they actually don't mind Ohio. They actually really like it there. And he comes around eventually. But what the show figured out was that the show can't be about Glenn Howerton's character the whole time. It has to focus on the ensemble. And once they did Mm. that, it came together in such an amazing way. There's some amazing episodes uh, with all the all the other characters involved in this. Paula Pell is a national treasure. Patton Oswalt kills it as as the principal. And nice. honestly, if you're if you can make it through like the first couple episodes, it really starts to gel and becomes a, a show that no one expects. I don't think anyone expected it would ultimately become because everyone thought it was just, oh, he's just going to be Dennis mm. in Ohio. Which it sounds like that's kind of what was happening at first, you know, with his, you know, bitterness and, and everything. And even the way you were described, I was oh, going to get petty revenge. I'm like, yeah, that's like what Dennis would do. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Oh, 100 yeah. percent. But yeah, man, it. it Four seasons on Peacock. It's worth it's worth checking out because it really turns around. There's some amazing episodes. It's amazing work from, mm. from the kids. So you're saying the show's got legs, like the ones that'd be on the frogs they're dissecting. Yeah, they never get around to dissecting frogs, but if they if they actually did, like and they learned any biology, totally, one hundred percent. So outside of the show Reservation Dogs, which is excellent, I don't see enough. Native American representation on television at all. Fair. I think you guys probably agree, right? Definitely. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. And so that's why I think the show Rutherford Falls on Peacock was a really good step forward in, you know, just having more Native American representation on television. It was kind of a good way to do it, I thought, in terms of getting a wider audience by having Mike Shore, the guy who's famous from like The Office, Parks and Rec, and Brooklyn Nine Nine, do the show with with Ed Helms as one of the leads, where it focused on Ed Helms's relationship with a Native American woman played by Janice Schmiding, who grew up together in this town of Rutherford Falls, and Ed Helms's family like traced their way back to you know pilgrims, and, and there's a huge statue in the middle of town dedicated to Ed Helms's character's ancestor, and they start to get into the, you know, what happened uh, as far as, uh, and how that actually really worked and how valid th- the claim was that Ed Helms's character's ancestors had on the town itself and how it played into the Native Americans who actually lived on the land and and actually, you know, lived there before they he founded the town. And it's, a, it's an interesting dive that actually works a good balance between comedy and drama, which you'd expect from someone who's done stuff like The Good Place and, and stuff like that. So for me, those two were great. The comedy works really well uh, in balancing with the drama. But there's one actor named Michael Gray Eyes who plays Native American guy who, uh, who runs the casino. And if you can at least make it to episode four, he does this, he he gets involved in this amazing episode where you kind of see where he 
you know, started from and how he was raised and ended up becoming, you know, head of the head of the casino. And it's fascinating. I remember just shouting, like, give him all the Emmys. This is so good. And it was a story that I just hadn't seen anywhere else because you don't see Native American representation in anywhere now. It's definitely getting traction. But I don't know, this is just a great example. And I, I wish it had gone past two seasons. I, I think they could have gotten at least one more season out of it. But the two seasons that are available on Peacock now are totally worth your time. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I definitely heard about this show uh, before. I can't remember who told me about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely on my radar. It just was one of those, you know, it's like, oh, it sounds like a really amazing. I, I should totally go watch that. And then, you know, something else comes up in life and you get around it. But yeah, this, I mean, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of pedigree behind just not both the cast, but also the, the the creators of the show and the writing. It sounds like to me that you know there's a lot lot going on. Looking forward to giving this giving this a shot. Yeah, and it's definitely you know as you said you know totally underrepresented on television. So you know I'm really interested just to see a different perspective and you know join into a different uh, world that exists you know inside our own country that we never talk about yeah. or you know. Don't talk about it enough, at least, you know? Agreed. Yeah. All of us lived through the 90s. And I think we can all agree that there were some great girl bands that came out of the 90s. Right? <laughs> yeah, there were. I mean, Spice Girls, etc. So many great girl bands. And Vogue. And Vogue. Yeah, giving you something you could feel. 100%. So that's why I think the show Girls 5 Eva really hit with me. I'll put aside the fact that it's another Tina Fey, Robert Carlock production. So it's got the 30 Rock, Unbreakable uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Great news, as I mentioned before, sensibilities to it. Uh I mean, that sense of humor is definitely still there. But the idea of a girl band from the 90s in present day trying to reunite and record again and what happened to them after that is fascinating. And with the cast that you've got between Paula Pell, who I've already professed my love for, Sarah Bareilles, who, I mean, I knew wow. she was a, yeah. a pop star, uh, but and she'd done musical great, stuff. Great, but, great voice. Incredible yeah. voice. Yeah. Can she act? Yeah. She does a great job in this. She's actually the primary lead, and oh, she carries wow. things pretty okay, well. Nice. Uh, she holds her own with Busy Phillips and Renee Goldsberry from Hamilton and One Life to Live. Nice. And just watching them try, like they're all hilarious on their own and working their the way through this journey of trying to reconnect and, and appreciate and uh, how much, how much of a sisterhood they had and how that could potentially lead to re- a, a reuniting of their, of their group and re- reworking things. We get gaining the magic, gaining the magic pack again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For me, there's a bit of nostalgia, but it's also just a really well done comedy. Like, this whole thing is hilarious. I did not realize how funny Renee Goldsberry was. I mean, outside of the documentary Now episode she was in, mm. she is ridiculously hilarious because I've seen her mostly do dramatic stuff. Cool. Yeah. I mean, this definitely sounds, uh, you know, like, like a great time. And I, th- I think that, you know, we always you know, joke about, oh, look, you know, NKOTB is back on, coming back on tour. This, you know, this right, right. thing. We always think about these, talk about these things and like, oh, what if they get back together? And, you know, and, and like, yeah, but we don't necessarily understand like what went into that. You know, what like, you know, kind of comedy or other things that have to happen behind the scenes for it to kind of, you know, make that click. So it's 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 a really intriguing a concept. And this wasn't my radar. I think I think Cheryl had mentioned this to me actually originally. It started off on Peacock the first two seasons and now the third one's gonna be done on Netflix. 
So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little show hopping again, you know? Yeah, yep. seriously. Uh, but I'm glad someone picked it up because it's just so much fun. And it makes sense for Netflix. I mean, they did Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Like, it's a perfect home for it. Mm. Yeah, no, this sounds great. I'm looking forward to checking it out. It, I, I'll, I'll take more Andrew Randall's. I'm, I'm good with that. Seriously, he, he does an awesome job as Busy Phillips's husband, in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> So there's actually been this pattern of up-and-coming stand-ups releasing specials directly on YouTube to kind of generate buzz and and promote themselves because it's hard to get you know a streaming service to pick up your special if you're your undiscovered talent. And before I get into what I'm actually trying to pitch, I think we agree that we enjoy stand-up specials, but also hate pedophiles. Yes, <laughs> we're on the same page there. I, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I think you have. I, I think you have to say yes. Definitely, no pedophiles. Pedophiles bad. Yes, yes. Specials generally pretty good. Yes, yes. And so that's why I think you'll like uh, Alice Hamilton's stand-up special that's on YouTube. It's called Sex Criminal, but it's spelled C E X K R I M I N A L, and it's it is a stand-up special. However, it feels more like a roast of all the creepy guys in comedy because she oh, she basically spends a lot of her time slamming Chris D'Elia, who is notoriously creepy, yeah. uh, and has spent a lot of time True. grooming young girls. And mm-hmm. she, I mean, the whole thing is hilarious the way she tears this guy down and a lot of other random people, too, who are just absolute creepers. So... It is it is a stand-up special. There are jokes. She is savage and it, it's kind of brilliant, but it's also interesting because she is just spilling the tea on all these super, super creepers that a lot of folks, if you if you just know Chris D'Elia from his sitcom work, like you I don't think people have an idea of exactly how much of a creeper he is. I mean, it's coming out more and more, but man, mm. this special is just it's wild and it's definitely worth your time. Alice. Alice Hamilton's hilarious, and I think she's going to do a lot of good things going forward. So definitely check out Sex Criminal on YouTube. Yeah, so I, I read an article once talking about some of the accusations against Chris D'Elia, and uh, yeah, it, it sounded pretty horrible, and like he's pretty gross of a human. Right. But I, I, I don't know, I'm kind of intrigued by this, also just because like, it's like a gossip kind of interest. Yeah. I just want, yeah. I'm like, come on, tell, tell me who's bad. Give me the dirt. Give me oh, the dirt yeah. on the bad ones, you know? Yeah. This is like, this is like, you know, cue your Kermit sipping his tea meme. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> She's spilling all the tea. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, as, as someone who was, a, I would say a devout um, watcher of at midnight of whom Chris D'Elia was on, you know, on frequently, you know, I, I did have like this gut feeling when I saw him again, not that he wasn't funny sometimes on the show, don't get me wrong, but I did have this feeling that like uh, something's not something doesn't sit right with me with him, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then when this stuff started trickling out, I'm like, okay, okay, it all checks out. Yeah, so I'm curious to see how how many uh, how many of the more obvious uh, ones I think might be on the list might be on there. So I'm definitely looking forward to you know to sipping the tea along with everyone here. All right, you've got talk shows and you've got game shows, but what you don't have until now is talk show the game show. 
So talk to, talk show the game show is a show that was originally on True TV and uh, it's all uh, all available on HBO Max and it's exactly what it says it is. It's hosted by Guy Branham and every episode has three celebrity contestants. And what they do is they come on, there's like an opening lightning round uh, to figure out who goes first. And then each celebrity does a a regular talk show interview that would do on any late night show. But the entire time they're getting scored on their performance. So they get points for plugging their project, name dropping, bringing the, the host a present, bringing a dog with them, things like that. And ultimately they're competing for the most points for absurd prizes that are completely useless. This is just dumb fun because on top of like just the silliness of like the talk show and being scored, there are also two judges that will give them style points and structure points. And so (laughs) they'll also get yellow cards for excessive name dropping. If they just mentioned too many celebrities, they know (laughs) you can actually get put into a penalty box. um, If you get enough yellow cards and, and someone else shows up and takes your time and it's got just sort of random celebrities from our, our I guess I'll, I'll frame it our generation because I just mm. remember game shows back in the day having all these random celebrities I had never heard of. And it was like, finally, a game show that's also a, a talk show with celebrities that I like, like Nicole Byer. So there you I, go. I, so this, this will not feature Jim J. Bullock, you're saying? Un, unfortunately not. I'd love Jim J. Bullock to come back around, but... It's just a fun, a good time where, when you're, if you're looking for something to watch randomly, you've got like 30 minutes you need to burn and you just want to sit back and chill and watch celebrities make kind of fools themselves trying to gain all these points. Okay. So this does sound interesting, but this also sounds like there's just too much money being put out there towards new shows. Yes. Like some guy just walked into a room and was like, I don't know. What if it's a game show and a talk show? Guy's like, great. Here's 30 million. Make it. <laughs> I just want to know who came up with all like the different structured concepts of the the combination of soccer rules plus hockey rules plus like <laughs> who, who came who decided like this is the structure that's going to be and this is like what trumps this and this, this is more important than that and that just it's it's just it's like it's like you you try and take the rules from like Catan and like seventeen other board games and shove them into one game it's it's pretty hilarious Chat GPT yeah there you go <laughs> that's the answer. <laughs> Any celebrities like who? Who else other than Nicole Byer? Oh, good, good question. Yeah, Kyle Kinane, a Ooh, stand-up nice. comedian. A Natasha nice. Leggero, I'm pretty sure is on there. Moshe Kasher. Ooh, yeah. Let me. So random contestants. We've got Nikki Glaser, Fortune Feimster, Chelsea Handler, Diablo wow. Cody, Scott Adsit from Thirty Rock, Maria mm-hmm. Bamford, Moby shows up. Moby, oh. <laughs> yeah. John Sally. Mm. A lot of just random and i I think a couple a a real housewife or two shows up on this so it's kind of a a, a bit of a mixed bag it's a huge section of the at midnight alums i have to add too oh yeah so this 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 could definitely scratch this itch that i've missed from not having you know at midnight and chris hardwick in my life i guess all right this sounds just like some really dumb brainless entertainment and a lot of times that's exactly what i want to watch right around 9 30 at night Yes. Amen. Perfect. So I was trying to figure out why over most DC properties, Harley Quinn and Doom Patrol kind of really hit the mark for me. And I think I figured it out. 
because I'm pitching Harley Quinn. Doom Patrol is something uh, Dan's already seen. So we're we're just doing Harley Quinn, the animated show on HBO Max, uh, which has got, got three seasons with a fourth on the way and a Valentine's Day special. I realized a lot of the DC properties are a little bit more serious. They don't, I don't feel like they have sort of the, at least elements of humor mixed in like Marvel does. And that might be just be me over overly generalizing. Like I could be missing tons of things, but that's what I take away from it. But Harley Quinn uh, unto itself is truly a manic journey of the, the character of Harley Quinn finally realizing she should be leaving the Joker and hanging out with Poison Ivy more. And so interestingly, this, uh, I guess, become sort of a, a big project for Kaylee Cuoco post Big Bang Theory. So she voices Harley Quinn and does an amazing job with this truly manic character. Lake Bell plays Poison Ivy and kind of works as like, mm. you know, um, a straight man to, to Harley most of the a time. foil to her, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, the show works because it's, it's so joke dense. It's like eighth season of The Simpsons joke dense. In that, Dang. like, it's just jokes on top of jokes, and there's just, it's manic in a good way, and not in the, the way that you require medication, uh, which is nice. So <laughs> I think what the show does really well is that they do stick within, you know, stay true to the DC universe. They do, and they actually kind of dive deep and pull other folks in, but the stuff's not canon, so they get to mess around a lot. Like, for example, Christopher Maloney plays Commissioner Gordon, not nice. as a competent officer of the law, but is kind of a hapless idiot who seems to <laughs> barely get his job done. And it's, it's wild. Wow. He, he plays it with such, such intensity. It's amazing. And between that and my other favorite secondary character, Bane, who mm. as powerful as Bane is in the DC universe, the fact that Bane in, in this particular show uh, is constantly being made fun of and gets into a fight with a barista who keeps misspelling his name on his coffee cups is kind <laughs> of amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. That's, that's why I love this show. Like it's just, it's so on point with the writing that the acting is amazing and it takes you through a journey in the DC universe that stays within the universe, but it's just a lot more fun. I mean, I'm surprised to hear that about uh, Maloney's portrayal of Gordon. I thought he'd be stabler. Right. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no. Hair. Chris Maloney's a maniac. I love him. <laughs> Anything outside of SVU, like he, he was in uh, Wet Hot American Summer as the chef. Yes. Yeah. Right. It was nuts. Totally nuts. And it was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. I see. I thought. I thought this was. I thought you were going to take the approach of commonalities to your previous pitches, saying that you know we heard Corn Puddin in Schmigadoon, and of course Puddin is of, of course Haley's you know moniker for for the Joker. So that's fair, but I'm. I think I think because she really tries to separate herself from the Joker in in this series that that's that's not I don't think that, that um, that's why I go that it, way. Put in is off the table. Put in is off the table. I, I love the character of Harlequin, so this sounds like a lot of fun. I, I think she's like the way I always think of her is like she's got that same craziness as the Joker, but less menacing, more just bonkers. Yeah. Which is, it, it, that's what you make this show sound like, and that's what I always let, enjoy about Harley Quinn. So this sounds like a good time. Oh, yeah. I think you'll yeah. love it. If, if that's what you like about Harley Quinn, definitely, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to like like her in smaller doses sometimes, but she's definitely grown on me for sure over the past you know five, six years. So looking forward to it. I don't know how I ended up 
pitching two shows that involve adult women pretending to be teenagers. But I've got another one uh, on top of ten fifteen. <laughs> right, I'd like to pitch the show Chad, which I think is brilliant. Pretty underrated. Started out on TBS, was uh, on HBO Max. Is moving the second season's moving to Roku, and mm. Ali from New Girl, Nazim Badrad, also from SNL, plays the titular character of Chad, who is a thirteen-year-old boy, <laughs> a thirteen-year-old Persian boy growing up with a single mom and uncle and a younger sister, and he's super awkward and definitely an asshole, and kind of like a lot of teenagers. So it's kind of. That's what I thought was interesting is that the show does very much embrace the awkwardness of the character of Chad. Nazim Badrad does do the same thing where she's acting against a bunch of uh, age appropriate actors in high school and kind of just going through the same things any other, you know, teenager would, but she's trying to do it as a 13 year old boy. And, and it works with pretty good success. Weirdly, it kind of explores. Ah. The, yeah. God. I, I was going to say, honestly, if Nassim Padrad like, just showed up at my kids' middle school, I, I, I could see her blending in as a 13-year-old boy. <laughs> I will, I will take no one would question her. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why this show got a second season. <laughs> <laughs> the show explores like themes of growing up in like a, as a first-generation uh, immigrant family. Um, family there's a whole episode about kind of dealing with the fact that uh, the conflict of growing up kind of americanized and then also dealing with your all your persian relatives and they handle Ooh. it so well i, I rewatch that one a bunch every once in a while because it's just so much fun honestly that the uh the uncle character is hilarious he's just so enthusiastic and supportive all the time every time chad insults him he's just like oh, i love you chatty and, <laughs> and eventually you find out well it, it's obvious that the from the start that the character's name is not Chad. It's Feriadun, which is a proper Persian name. And eventually mm. find out why he refers to himself as Chad. But overall, it's it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, and it's got the right amount of weird. And I think it stands out kind of with just this whole, with, with the conceit of, you know, an adult person pretending to be a teenager. And then also with the, the immigrant experience. I think it's a good time. Yeah, this I definitely saw the preview for this, and it definitely intrigued me, you know, from the, the conceptually. But then, like, I kind of just forgot about it. But now, thanks for bringing it back up again. I, yeah, I'm look. It's going to be a so this is a pretty wild ride, though. Yeah, and I think Nassim Padrad is. I think she's an underrated performer, uh, and I think yep. you know, I, you know, I think it's great that she's got an opportunity to, you know, really shine in her own vehicle. Agreed. Oh, totally. Yeah, we we, yeah. we 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 definitely do appreciate the underrated the underrated performers here. So I would have put more Danny McBride shows on the list, but I didn't have enough time because I loved Eastbound and Down. But I, I think what is most representative of the Danny McBride universe, if you will, because HBO is letting him have a universe for some reason, is <laughs> the show The Righteous Gemstones, which I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this one, but it's more of an ensemble than the the other parts of the Danny McBride universe in that it's about a... Um, John Goodman actually plays Danny McBride's dad as the head of a mega church. And he's got two siblings uh, on top of Danny McBride, Adam Devine and Edie Patterson, oh my gosh. who I, I think has been in Danny McBride stuff and shows up elsewhere, but is a brilliant comic actress. And it follows them kind of dealing with 
threats, outside threats to the church and, and kind of in a, not a straightforward comedic way, more of a dark comedic way. And people just trying to find ways to take down the church and following, you know, their relationship and, and the whole history of the church itself, how it was built. And it's kind of fascinating. If you're a Danny McBride fan, it's great. And honestly, John Goodman's in it. I'll watch anything John Goodman's in for the most part. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that alone, because he he nails it as, as the leader of the church. And it is the right amount of inappropriate weirdness that you would expect from Danny McBride. And <laughs> I can't believe I forgot Walton Goggins showing up as a character named Uncle Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, Love Walter Goggins. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. With that cast alone, it's definitely worth checking out. Okay, so I think that the challenge with things like those mega churches is I find them so offensive. It can be like hard to even find. Like you, you don't need to parody it. They're, they're their own parodies, right? Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how did you feel about that? Like, was it were you still able to like find humor in it, or were you just like rolling your eyes? Like, how do people belong to things like this? Oh, yeah, they roll so hard in the parody. It was, it was actually pretty enjoyable. Because Adam Devine is the youth pastor, tried really working nice. social media and reaching out to the children. It was amazing. The fact that they have their own theme park as part of the mega church was kind of brilliant. Wow. And I think there's a baptism in a wave pool kind of early on. So <laughs> there's just like over the top ridiculousness across the board. And the, the kids just, uh, you know, John Goodman's character worked his way up from, from kind of nothing while the kids were surrounded by wealth their entire lives and it is so apparent <laughs> in the way things are handled wow and that contrast well, is great well think of it this way you know you know he, he go you know john goodman has now career-wise gone from shomer shabbos to becoming the head of the megachurch so it makes a lot of sense yes full circle maybe you'll do hinduism <laughs> next that'd be great <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> i guess he has to do islam first technically yeah. Mm, yeah monotheistic too you know yeah but yeah overall i i, I'm, I think it works are you guys like me do you wonder what john malkovich does kind of later in life like nowadays like how he picks projects like what he does what he does because i honestly found out he actually shops at the whole food in whole foods in cambridge on a regular basis oh seriously yeah one of my coworkers used to run into him there on a regular basis so i kind of just want to Pop by and like figure out what is going on with him. Like, like I don't know. What I, I don't even. I didn't even know he lives in the Boston area. Neither did I. Apparently, lives in Cambridge. That's the wow. That's the rumors. So, and he shows up there, but he also is showing up in the show Ten Year Old Tom that is on HBO Max. It's from the same guys who made Life and Times of Tim, which I don't think either of you guys are familiar with either. No, adult animation again. Uh, it's got one season with ten episodes right now, and. It's essentially it's the animation's crude, but the the humor itself is super high cringe, and it works really well. But because it's basically just falling around this character, who's a lot like the character from Life and Times of Tim. It's a ten year old boy named Tom. He's kind of having being forced to, into ran, dealing with random adult situations, surrounded by adults who have it, are, are no way in no way whatsoever equipped to actually help him. And one of those adults mm-hmm. is play, is played by John Malkovich as the drama teacher. So they, <laughs> John Malkovich shows up as the drama teacher, which honestly, if John Malkovich was my drama teacher, I'd be psyched. Like, not, not like, <laughs> I 
Who's Jamal Kutch? I'll make Jamal Kutch now, who just doesn't care at all. Right. <laughs> he would be a very intimidating drama teacher, even if you didn't know him as the famous John Malkovich. Just That's as a fair. presence in your drama class, that would be intense. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. In a multiverse where John Malkovich did not reach, you know, Hollywood fame, he was the drama teacher someplace, intimidating young act- actors and actresses. Got it. In this case, he would be at a elementary school in New Jersey. So <laughs> even better. <laughs> Just the absurdity of each of the situations with with the child with with Tom is is awesome. Uh, the way they escalate things, it's it's on it's they just do it so well. The fact that he goes from just get, getting into a, a like w- walking into a gym class wearing a Yankees shirt. Oh no, he's wearing a Red Sox shirt in New Jersey, pissing off oh. his coach. And this oh, leads boy. to I know, and this leads to him at Fenway uh, getting humiliated by Red Sox fans. Like that, just those the, the random what? parts for the show are wild. Wow, and that's what I love about it. It escalates so quickly, and I mean between Malkovich. Um, Edie Patterson, who was also in Righteous Gemstones, and right. Jillian Jacobs for Community. Oh, nice. I mean, those are the, the folks you'd know, but the, the, all the actors in this are amazing. Uh, they, they do such a great job from a comedic timing standpoint and truly buying into this nonsense world where suddenly this child is expected to do things that no child should be doing in ter- from a, a reasonable perspective. Yeah, it sounds pretty wild, man. I mean, I, and I think, I think we definitely have seen at the escalation idea i mean you know i, th- I think you should leave it, it comes to mind there are scenes there that escalate obviously very quickly and i think that that kind of it may make some people uncomfortable but f- but it adds to the the depth and the you know the, the how impactful the scenes or these episodes could be so looking forward to that and you know the fact that tom is just bad at everything and everyone's pretty aware that he's just not good at it works even better for <laughs> So Dan, I know you're you're you've been dealing with renting apartments more recently over the past couple of weeks. Yep. Jason, you had to rent in England, right? Did you have to deal with uh, estate agents when you were there? Yes, I did. Okay, were they wildly incompetent? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I, I can pretend. Sure. Okay. Sure. So, I mean, at least you've dealt with estate agents or rental agents recently, so you'll appreciate. The show Stath Let's Flats. Uh, it's available on HBO Max. It was a British show starring Jamie Demetrio, and it's got a bunch of other random British actors who show up in everything. I actually was thinking about it. I think it's the Kevin Bacon of British sitcoms because <laughs> it can I've connect everything. Yeah, I mean Jamie Demetrio and actually his sister Nadia uh, Demetrio, who plays uh, oh, Nastasia Demetrio, plays Nadia in What We Do in the Shadows. Both play brother and sister on this show, and they work for this uh, estate agency that is run by their father. And Jimmy Dimitri, playing the titular staff, is completely incompetent. Uh, <laughs> in, in this, he has this awkward, cringy vibe that I don't think I've seen anyone replicate. It's and it, it it takes it's a little bit of an acquired taste, but once you get it, I can't stop watching the show. I'll rewatch it over and over again, just like <laughs> when I just want to randomly throw something on because he's so bad at his job, and he's just showing people these apartments. And th- those are the best scenes where he just walks into a place and like has no idea what he's doing when he's showing the apartment because that's a, a recurring <laughs> theme. Like every episode, nice. he'll try and show an apartment and he'll just do the worst job. Be- between him and just the fact that. 
you've got folks who are in this show who show up in Ted Lasso, for example, like the guy who plays Nate, uh, Nate and Ted Lasso shows up in a bunch of uh-huh. episodes of this. Um, actually one of the, in the third season of Ted Lasso, a woman shows up who's a big character in staff, let's flats, but also a bunch of people from staff, let's flats showed up in ghosts UK. Oh, okay. Which we, which we covered on an earlier episode mm-hmm. of the podcast. So, and then the folks just show up everywhere. It's wild. It's about three seasons, six episodes each. Thank you. Thank you, England, for keeping it short. We appreciate it. <laughs> and honestly, anyone who's ever had to deal with an incompetent real estate professional will will appreciate this show. I will also add real estate agents in the UK have a reputation for, in general, being pretty incompetent, much more so than in the US. So How more so? <laughs> They're pretty bad. Just... Uh, they just have a reputation. Like you talk about estate agents and everyone just goes, oh, oh. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the, I think that this show kind of takes a bit of everything here because you got the creepiness level you're talking about here, plus the incompetence and you're kind of getting a mix of real estate agents, at least across both sides of the pond. It sounds like to me. So I think that there is a definitely an appeal here for any English speaker to see this. And they'll say, oh yeah, I get that. I think it's adding another layer to the English speaking part of it is the fact that it's a Greek Cypriot family who is very mm. much a Greek Cypriot family. So there's that added layer too. If you, if mm. you like um, watching Greek Cypriots yell at each other all the time, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I can definitely see that being a great piece of uh, the comedic element for sure. So since you guys both actually have siblings and I'm an only child, you'll probably appreciate the show the other two more than I did. That said, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. It's got two seasons on HBO Max with a third on the way. And it's uh, the two leads are basically two kind of starving artists, a man and a woman, brother and sister, who moved from the Midwest to New York to try and make it. And they're struggling real hard. But hmm. right around when the first episode starts they find out that their youngest brother has suddenly gone viral. <laughs> and oh. while they spent years trying to, you know, figure things out and make their way and, and kind of maybe pretend with their mom that they're doing better than they actually are, their brother is taken off. And their mom, played by Molly Shannon, is bringing him to New York because he is suddenly on everything. And it's, wow. it's, it's hilarious to watch these guys still kind of try and try uh, try to you know further their careers while all of this is happening and you know be the older the protective older sibling and also be mildly jealous and kind of try and work into it but realize that they actually do still love their younger brother and as much as they might be you know envious they do want to help him because he's a sweet kid and it so it creates an interesting dynamic trying to watch the the rise of a viral star in you know, and the other two, the titular other two, being stuck in his shadow. And between Molly Shannon, uh, Wanda Sykes, and Ken Marino as uh, the kid's agent, <laughs> there are a bunch of actually random actors in there. They're awesome. This is, I think, at least the third show you've suggested in this podcast with Wanda Sykes. And I want to say at least the second, maybe the third with Ken Marino. Yeah, that is entirely probably. That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They just keep popping up in shows. Like it's weird. <laughs> well, guys, Wanda Sykes is in Star Wars now. Oh, is she? I don't, yes, I she, about that. she's she's she plays a character in the Bad Batch season two. So she's Wanda, in everything. Wanda Sykes is inevitable. <laughs> yes. 
So I think it's funny that the way they portray success in this this show, um, the other two, it isn't that they've like hit financial success or anything. It's that they go viral. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because again, it, it, nowadays it's like you know that's how people you know you know Bieber made a start that way, and so many people like you know kind of hit that. You know, and I I, I followed uh, this um, one person on TikTok, and you know, she's like you know, with Universal as a record label now. You know, so it's pretty wild how you know people can go from you know this point to that point. Yeah, but it, again, it, it's all about what you do with your platform once you get out there for your potentially fifteen minutes of fame, and whether it becomes longer than that, I think. No, I, well, there's this one YouTuber I watch called the Holderness Family, and literally, they're oh yeah, I love them. I love yeah, them. They, yeah. You know how they got their start, right? Yeah, they they had one video that was them dancing in their Christmas jammies that they were sending out to like family and friends that they just posted on YouTube. Like, Oh, here's the video we, we put up and it blew up and it had, yep. I, I want to say it's North of 10 million views. It, it's some yeah. astronomical number yeah, it's uh, of views and they've just built a whole career off that. Yeah. They're, they're hilarious. Honestly, they are. They're pretty great. Yeah. Agreed. All right. But this, uh, the other two, this sounds interesting. I, I think I may check this out. Yeah. Sounds good to me. I didn't think I'd ever watch a TV show and say, man, after watching the show, I really want to move to Detroit. But (laughs) Detroiters is one of the best shows I've ever seen. There's something about Tim Robinson from I Think You Should Leave and Sam Richardson, who's Mm. deep in a bunch of other things. Them together, they're, they're, they're really good friends in real life. They grew up in the Detroit area. And them running an ad agency together and local ads... And a lot of them based on local ads from from Detroit when they were growing up is absolutely brilliant. There's an episode where where the guy who was the inspiration for Ron Burgundy in Anchorman, apparently, Mort Krim, ends up doing like one of their ads. He actually shows up in every episode as a local newscaster and who's absolutely brilliant. But there's a heart to this show and a weirdness that it's sort of the sitcom friendly version of I think you should leave because Mm -hmm. Tim's voice is here. And it's a little bit more toned down for an actual normal sitcom. And Sam Richardson is on blast because he's amazing. There's this fun heart to this show that actually, I'll use the Ted Lasso comparison, which is valid in this case, because guys from this show went on to help create Ted Lasso. So Mm. it's Mm. a great pedigree. It's got two seasons that are on Paramount Plus. And Mm. honestly, if if this show doesn't make you want to move to Detroit, just based on the, the the weirdness, the the wackiness of the characters, and the random local commercials that they're putting together, I don't know what will. <laughs> I, Tim Robinson making wacky commercials sounds like the most Tim Robinson thing he could do with his life. <laughs> I, I totally agree. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to see some of the some of the uh, the ads are doing because I, I think I think that'll just seriously like you know destroy me. <laughs> <laughs> oh. If anything, just look for the Devereaux wigs ad because I've had that jingle stuck in my head for years. Um, oh, it just ends with them saying their wigs are definitely not made from the hair of dead people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, so what's the ratio of wacky commercials to, I don't know, story or plot that happens in this show? Okay. Yeah. So there's at least one commercial an episode. 
and the the rest of the rest of the time is is wacky wacky plot usually i mean generally revolving around the commercial or sometimes their families so it's it's higher on on plot and and you know a little less on wacky commercials unless like the Devereaux wigs episode it is all about the wig commercial but there are lots of you know subplots as well gotcha yeah, so this 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 will go up there with you know the many series out there like Detroit Rocks, you know, or movies like Detroit Rock City and all the other things like that out there that exist. You know, it's it's good. I'm I'm, I'm glad that they're adding to the pantheon of media that is featuring Detroit. Seriously, it's one of the few things Comedy Central's gotten right in a while. Though they need to bring it back. <laughs> I actually follow someone on Twitter who posts every every day posts stuff about trying to bring Detroiters back. It's it's wild. I don't know how I started following wow. this person, but I love all their stuff. So for my next to last pitch for this episode, I had to pitch the, sh- the series High Fidelity on Hulu. Ooh. This is the reboot where they changed a lot of things, but they got, you know, Nick Hornby, the guy who wrote the original novel High Fidelity to sign off on all this. And it's actually nice. the series kind of works. Uh, unfortunately, it did only get one season, but it it's still kind of all checked out they moved it from chicago to to brooklyn though the original was set in london you know that they, they moved right. it to, this one to brooklyn brought in zoe kravitz to replace john cusack which is an interesting flip absolutely works i forgot how amazingly charming zoe kravitz is when i was re-watching this and how how well this works honestly because they don't do the the straight into trying to figure out what happened with the exes they they have more time with this 10 episode series to actually explore explore you know the the, the record store and the the relationships between the two guys that work there because hmm. they do have you know the the Jack Black and uh, Todd Luiso analogs from the original oh, also do a really good job and it's one of those rare reboots that does actually work for what it is cuz once they do get into it it's interesting and god really it is all about Zoe Kravitz so incredibly charming in this role. Like I you can't keep her eyes off. Can't keep your eyes off of her on the screen. Like just absolutely transfixed. If you enjoyed the original high fidelity, if you read the book, this is 100% up your alley. It, you won't be disappointed because they do. They made a conscious effort to not just kind of make it a shot for shot remake of the original, but to make it its own thing. But while still staying true to the, the concept of working your way through your exes and growing through that and still being obsessed with music. <laughs> Top five records about <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I think it makes total sense they did this as a TV show because I feel like it's a story that is just too rushed when you try and make it a movie. Yeah, yeah. agreed. As as the old John Cuse, it, it was just too rushed. So I think I'm really intrigued in that, and I I am a big fan of Zoe Kravitz. She is very she's like a magnetic personality. Yeah, I I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I, the music element, you know, always kind of transfixes me. If I see High Fidelity, the movie, even though it is rushed, like Jason says, I totally agree with that. You know, I still will sit back and I'll watch some scenes because some scenes in that were just completely, completely classic to me. We were on the verge of being called the Kathleen Turner Overdrive. <laughs> That's right. Barry Jive and the Uptown Five. So as everyone knows, this show is basically about reviewing uh, TVs and movies, right? This, this, that's what we've been doing on this podcast for, for a while now. Well, I would love it if we took a step further, like they do in the show Review, which is on Paramount+. Plus. It was originally on Comedy Central uh, with three full seasons where 
Andy Daly's character, Forrest McNeil, hosts a show where he reviews not just TV or movies, but life itself. Okay. <laughs> he, re- he goes around, the, the whole point of the show is that he goes out around reviewing life experiences. And he is so dedicated to that task that it doesn't matter what, what potential consequences there may be, but he's going to review that life experience because it's that important for the show and for the viewers. And honestly, that premise alone is absolutely mind-blowing. Combined with Andy Daly's performances and everyone else on the show who buys into this, he literally... Let me give you a list of things he reviews during during the show. He, he reviews making a sex tape, <laughs> pancakes, nice, being Irish, <laughs> starting a cult, <laughs> being falsely accused, mm. getting in a pillow fight, go- going to an orgy, not at the same place as a pillow fight, <laughs> okay. procrastinating, doing whatever a magic eight ball tells you to do for, for an entire day. Wow. Catfishing someone, getting struck by lightning, and then pancakes again. He does it twice. He does pancakes twice in the same episode. <laughs> Why? Why? If you, if you, it's it's one of the early episodes. If you give it, a, if the give the show a shot, it absolutely works in the context of the show. Hmm. Well, are, they, are they different types of pancakes? Are we talking like a you know, silver dollar versus you know Dutch, you know Apple Baby kind of thing? You know, what are we, what are we talking about as many pancakes as you can get in your mouth, like amazing. regardless of style. And it's, it's amazing. Like we've dedicated ourselves to this podcast on a fairly loose, casual basis. This guy literally ruins his life to make sure that he's able to review something on a five-star system. And it's even creepier because like his producer clearly has no scruples and just is enabling this behavior the entire time. It gets kind of creepy and dark after a while because you're just like, oh, no, someone should stop him. He doesn't need to review divorce. <laughs> oh, no, he's going to review divorce. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. And it's absolutely brilliant show. I, I, I'm i not the only one who thinks so. So the, a former guest of the show, Lev, actually likes the show a lot. It's And that guy's oh, yeah. disappointed in everything. So I mean, that's that a fact. That's facts. Yeah. Honestly, if that's not if that's not, that's going to say that's not going to say you want it. I don't know what will. If Lev approves, uh, I guess I got to give it a try. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing uh, promos on this for the final season, right as at midnight, and a couple of comedy central shows were coming to a close back back in the day. I, I definitely, you know, it sounded, it sounded interesting, but I never got into it. But now I'm glad you brought it back up. So it'll it'll be good experience to uh, review. (laughs) Well done. Five stars. Well, that happened, which brings us to the end of, well, pretty much the whole watch. Okay. Please podcast. Other than the other speed episodes. That is, we hope you had a good time listening to our nonsense today. And if you haven't already checked out the other speed episodes of the pod, please do so. And, Please don't let the end of the podcast stop you from rating and reviewing us on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or even just telling a friend about us. Regardless of whether we come back or not, we hope you keep on watching. <laughs>